This is a podcast from Nordic Center in Shanghai. Located at Fudan University, Nordic Center is a platform for education and research collaboration between the five Nordic countries and China. And in this podcast, we showcase some of our activities in various academic fields. This episode is a recording from our annual summer course, Doing Business in China, in which students from our Nordic member universities meet a variety of academic lecturers and business managers to learn about different business areas in China, the complexities of being competitive in this market, and about Chinese business culture. For this course, we had the great honor of booking Minister Council Ragnar Baldursson, the Deputy Head of Mission at the Icelandic Embassy in Beijing. Mr. Baldursson was a key person in the final stages of negotiating the free trade agreement between China and Iceland, an agreement now being studied by his Norwegian counterparts, who are interested in their own bilateral FTA with China now that relations have been fully normalized. Mr. Baldursson focuses his lecture on some of the sticky points in negotiations and how to get around them, where the key, of course, is understanding the interests and concerns of the person on the other side of the table. At the end of the lecture, Mr. Baldursson, who, besides being a diplomat, is a scholar of Chinese philosophy, also talked about some of the conceptual mismatches between Chinese and European cultures and how they affect misunderstandings and understandings of government. Here is Ragnar Baldursson. I'm pleased to have the opportunity, finally, to visit the center. Uh, I have followed uh, its activities on the uh, sidelines, uh, but I've never been here, actually. I thought I had to have a look at, see uh, what you're doing. And uh, I, I was looking at the course and what you've been teaching. And it's uh, pretty impressive. And I think it is the right things. I mean, the, the themes you're studying, the the approach, it's actually what it's all about. The, the <coughs> if you want to work with China, we, uh, we want to handle the rise of China as a major leading power in the world. We have to realize it's different. There's a cultural mismatch between our cultures in the West and China. And I know you come from various countries, like um, even uh, some of the uh, Russia or uh, you know not only the Nordic countries, and uh, some of your foreign students you already in, in in your countries. And I know that uh, young students who haven't been abroad. They even, let's say Icelanders, they can even get a culture shock coming to Denmark. <laughs> so, uh, I don't call France or Russia, but you know, China is different. And for the first time since the, um, uh, since the beginning of uh, globalization of world economy, since the beginning of, um, of uh, the Industrial Revolution, we have a non-European culture edging into a leading position. The institutional network or framework we are having with the United Nations, with how we do agreements, how we do trade, how we do uh, inter-country relations, um, the uh, security issues, etc. They're all, the norms have all been set by us, the Western world. The Chinese do things differently. Traditionally, they have, fortunately, uh, um, they have declared that they are going to be players within the present 
international framework created basically after the Second World War, but based on what came before. Um, so, uh, they, so, so uh, theoretically, it shouldn't be a clash that they are actually going to, they are actually working with us in the World Bank, in the United Nations, and, and in free trade uh, agreements, in the WTO, etc. However, there is bound to be some, um, some uh, uh, frictions uh, and, and not, and in some cases, not only simple frictions, but pre it can become pretty serious, actually, because the Chinese are going, their way of doing things is becoming more prominent, and they are, um, they, they, and as they grow in strength economically and um, security-wise and, and confidence, uh, the culture will also the, 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 the influence is going to reverse itself. It's going to be not only one-sided and already happening from the Western world into, into China, but also the Chinese world is going to influence the Western world again, like it did in the, um, at the, uh, the, in the advent of the industrialization through the Jesuits and the Impressionism, etc. Uh, and... Um, and, and, and the best way to uh, handle this is to be conscious about the differences and try to, to understand them. Now, uh, the theme of uh, the first part of my uh, introduction is about the free trade agreement between China and Iceland. Iceland was the first country to, in Europe to sign a free trade agreement with China. It came simultaneously into force with the free trade agreement between China and Switzerland. Um, so sometimes the Swiss say that they were the first. We just say no, not really. But of course, the the um, the, um, the Swiss agreement is more complicated and uh, it covers more areas than the Icelandic one. Icelandic being a small country with small economy. Now, before continuing, I, I would like to make a disclaimer. I um, promised that this would be recorded and for the web. So um, please be aware that what I'm saying here represents my own personal opinions or um, observation as an individual or a scholar, uh, not the position of the government of Iceland. Now, um, first of all, um, why do we have free trade agreements? What is a free trade agreement? Usually people conceive it as being agreement on free trade between two countries. It's, it's not really that simple because we have a general uh, uh, network or a general uh, process of, of the World Trade Organization which has a, put the framework of, uh, of the, uh, for, the, for the tariffs and, uh, and a trade between countries, making a kind of a basic free trade between the world, because the, the, the dogma of the present, of the, of the uh, let's say, the, the present regime in, in world trade is that it should be free, with exceptions. <laughs> that, the, uh, that there are countries, they, uh, they may have uh, to adjust to this freedom in trade, but, but that is the American, used to be, uh, sorry, it used to be the American dogma is that free, uh, trade should be free. 
the money should be allowed to flow where, where it can, and no restrictions on trade or, uh, or investment. In reality, it, it's far, far from that. Now, there's also a, a general rule that you have that if a country is allowing another country, giving a tre treatment to another country in, in trade, that it, it, it's, um, uh, it's a most favored nation clause, that, that if someone gets it, then everybody else gets it as well. That was, it was written into the Chinese uh, agreements after the uh, Opium Wars, and in general there is, a, in, in, free, in, in WTO, that is the, the agreement. So which is why, when we have free trade agreements, they are actually free agreements of free trade areas. So as to ensure that, not, uh, that what we agree between two countries or three countries or whatever group of countries is doing the free trade agreement, that it will not have, we don't have to give it to everybody else. So it's a close club. It's like we, we are, uh, so the, the Iceland-China free trade agreement is basically an agreement on making an area of free trade between Iceland and China where certain rules and tariffs are in uh, force and it doesn't have to include everyone else. But of course, everyone else is going to read the agreement and they say, well, Iceland has got it. So that's what Norway is doing now. And, um, and, and China has, uh, uh, there's a very strong argument actually that they will have to go on. Uh, but, but every country is different and what uh, they need to protect and uh, what is delicate, it's, it's different. It's, uh, uh, in, uh, for Iceland, doing free trade agreement, uh, and we do have done a lot of free trade agreements uh, within the framework of uh, of uh, the uh, EFTA, the uh, uh, with Switzerland, Norway, Iceland, Liechtenstein, uh, and for Iceland, the goal basically is to uh, ensure access of our seafood exports to other markets and protect uh, our two or three thousand uh, farmers from uh, the rest of the world, from you know, Icelandic sheep and things like that. So that is basically what we try to do. This, uh, the, the Chinese have done, the, the, the Chinese position is that they, they would like the world, the, the WTO to continue to, to, uh, to uh, have uh, to make the, the world trade as free as possible. That is their position. Um, but, it, the, the, uh, but the negotiation has stagnated. So starting to do um, bilateral and trilateral and multilateral free trade agreements, We're establishing the free trade areas, is kind of China reaction to uh, the stagnation in the WTO negotiations rather than a challenge to the WTO because they, even though of course it is in a way, but they, they would like to get it moving again. And last round China was instrumental in, uh, in the progress that, that actually happened. Uh, the position of the US used to be in the WTO that, that they, they were the ones that were driving for a freer, a freer trade, 
But at the same time, there is some protectionism in some areas in the U.S. So, so they, uh, they were rather happy for the excuse that uh, the European Union gave to, um, to them in, in not enforcing free trade in all areas. Uh, but one of the big problems, and remember that I'm talking privately, in, uh, in the WTO now is that the, the European, with the establishment of the European Union, while we made free trade with the European Union and the European Economic Area, including Norway and Iceland, the, the, uh, we, we made it very easy to trade within our borders, but we made it more difficult to trade with the rest of the world. A lot of the issues that, the, that we are complaining about in China, about the, the Chinese restriction on trade, like the complicated uh, uh, pro, uh, procedures for uh, introducing new food species, um, the, uh, the, the uh, ensuring the, that, that no uh, uh, diseases can be transferred and all that. The this AQSIQ uh, is, the, is the animal quarantine uh, organization, uh, a quality uh, inspection uh, uh, authority in China. And each and every new species that is added has to go through assessment. Now, where the bloody hell did the Chinese get this idea? Do you think? European Union. That's where it took the lead. So before the establishment of the European Union, most of Iceland, I, I don't remember the figures, but maybe 60, 70% of Iceland seafood exports was to US. Now it's something like 15 or 20. Because it's also bloody complicated to, uh, the, the, to export outside of the European Union while you, while you uh, just can just make a statement, this is Icelandic product, it's healthy, so please buy it. That's, that's how we do it. But if you want to move it into US, they copied European rules, and the Chinese, they copied the, the, the European rules. Russians, everyone has copied it, and um, I made it very complicated to add new species. Um, the, um, in, the, in the particular case of Iceland, the reason for Iceland starting to um, do this free trade agreement was political. The, uh, the uh, Iceland is always banking on every door uh, asking for free trade agreements for EFTA, for its seafood. And we were banking on the Chinese door. But the Chinese didn't even uh, listen or hear the sound of the knock until uh, uh, the um, president of uh, China, the former president, Jiang uh, Zemin, who used to be a mayor of the city, Shanghai, he um, uh, came visited on an official visit in, in Iceland in 2000 or 2001, maybe it was 2001, I think. And uh, there, in, uh, as I have heard it, the, uh, the, uh, in, a, in a private conversation with the Prime Minister of Iceland, he decided, okay, uh, we can make a free trade agreement with Iceland. So it was decided during an official visit. And then uh, the, uh, the, the uh, subsequent year, uh, Iceland uh, did, uh, uh, the, or, or maybe not the next year, but, but eventually we, we we wanted to make it a, uh, 
a uh, EFTA agreement. We wanted to include Norway and Switzerland from the very beginning, and we wasted one year to try to do that. Uh, I knew as soon as I heard, I was uh, based in, in, in Tokyo, that the Chinese would not agree to that because it was a personal decision at the highest level. They would not even ask. They, would, they took one year in coming to the conclusion it was not applicable, it was not feasible to make a free trade agreement with all the three countries because it's complicated. And they're right. I mean, in Iceland is simple. It's about seafood. And, and, in, um, and, and for Switzerland, it's about um, trademarks and uh, industrial goods, banking. Now, the um, Iceland was also uh, one of the... It was probably the first country in Europe to uh, recognize uh, uh, China as, uh, as a, as a uh, uh, what do you call it, free trade, not uh, commercial market economy. Yes. Mm -hmm. Market economy. The reason was political, pure political. We thought it was good for Iceland to recognize China as a market economy. No in-depth study of the Chinese market behind that. You can say the same about the European uh, Union positioning today. There's no in-depth uh, reason for Denmark and uh, Germany and to have a different opinion than the East European countries on, on the issue whether China is or is not a market economy. It's political. Now, um, uh, when we started negotiating, it started... It, it, we are, we are pretty used to making all those agreements, and it's, in Iceland's case, usually it's not that, not that complicated. Uh, when we started negotiating, it, it went pretty fast until we came to a situation where the Icelandic bank, banks, they wanted to get, they wanted to enter China. It was during the bubble. So in 2005, five, six. <coughs> um, Iceland threw away the concept of the Nordic model, and we became the champions of the Icelandic model, which uh, was based on creating wealth by wealth. It's the, it's the, it's the uh, you may call it the British model. You know, what, do you, what do you do when you have an empire that collapses and, and loses all the industries? How, how are you gonna, how can you feed all those people living in Britain? You had to create, a, you had to uh, create wealth somehow so uh, Britain, British in the, in the case of Britain they, they, they have created the myth and maybe it's a reality that they are better in creating money with money better making profits for pure money than anybody else so the, whole, the rest of the world is pouring money into Britain and feeding the British people because they overvalue the currency and, uh, and, and, the, um, and uh, they have take interest from the financial assets all over the world and uh, kind of they, they, they have been able to do this quite successfully but to think that this would work for Iceland I don't think so it, it didn't work anyway it was a, it was a bubble it, it burst the, um, and, and that the Chinese could see that coming you know? they, they, they didn't really believe us that when we were telling the Hong Kong bankers that that we were very good at uh, banking. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should take, take a, a, a look at this. 
So uh, the 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 uh, so the agreement has stagnated a little bit, and then in the crash in 2007, the I think I think the uh, free trade agreement probably started 2004. You you have to look at you you can look at it up at the net uh, internet and see when it started and all that. I think it was 2004, uh, and then uh, uh, 2004 five maybe, and then uh, after the first round of trying to include. Uh, the the EFTA agreement, and uh, then um, uh, uh, after the uh, in the financial crash, the, the there was the the sentiment in Iceland was that we should enter the European Union and do it fast, get euro, and, and Iceland applied for uh, membership of the European Union. So the Chinese side, because a lot of ministers involved in a free trade agreement, you, you, it's not only. The Ministry of uh, Trade—it's—it's it's the Ministry of uh, Food Production, you know, the Agriculture and Fisheries and all that—and they, and the uh, the Customs, it's the uh, Ministry of Quality Control, and uh, Ministry of Health and Sports, and who not? I mean, everybody's involved. So there's a lot of people involved, and they said, "Okay, Iceland is going to enter the European Union." As soon as Iceland enters the European Union, any free trade agreements Iceland has with all countries are void, and their existence only becomes a factor in the negotiation for Iceland entering the European Union because Iceland can claim that because we are going to lose the advantages of uh, this free trade agreement, the European Union has to give us something instead. So it becomes a chip in the Icelandic bargaining chip for Iceland. And why? to the Chinese use a lot of time for creating a bargaining chip for Iceland. When they, however, agreed not to um, completely cancel the negotiation, it was just put on hold, a bit like they did with Norway later. They put on hold, didn't continue, but they were not really disbanded. So uh, the, um, the, when this happened, then we probably needed only about one or two years to finalize. Um, because of political reasons in Iceland, we had a government which was split on whether or not to enter the European Union. The Social Democrats had the position that there are, for the Iceland future, for the Icelandic political and economic future, there's only a plan A, no plan B. Plan A being entering the European Union. That was the position. The, the, the having no plan B can be dangerous, and the Social Democratic Party of Iceland used to be the second biggest party in Iceland, the three, three or four parliamentarians today. It was almost wiped out the last elections. Uh, the, um, the left green were, were, were nationalists, basically t turning inwards, using left-wing jargon for, uh, for uh, na nationalist uh, Goals, which is, is, is quite interesting, but uh, uh, it's quite often done. You can, you can recognize it from your own countries. I think it, you have it in all the Nordic countries. Some uh, some uh, old left wingers um, uh, originating from the from the uh, from the uh, before the before the uh, collapse of the Soviet Union, uh, having turned nationalists. But keeping the jargon. So, 
you always have to look at not the jargon or the language people use, but the content. Right? This, that is very wise. You know, in China, everywhere. Now, um, this, these two parties were together in, in power, and, and this uh, left green, they, they said, we are not going to uh, enter the European Union, we're against it. However, we are willing to participate in a government that is applying because the results of the negotiation will be put to the national vote. In the end, they didn't even come to that. The, uh, the present government is, is against entering Europe. It's, it's not actually not a theme anymore. Now, but the Chinese, they, they uh, and so we, our position was that we are continuing at a slow pace to, to negotiate because the social democrats needed to say this. Now, uh, uh, in uh, three years ago, four years ago, uh, in uh, in 2013, the uh, uh, Prime Minister of uh, it was on 12 actually in autumn. Maybe this was the uh, the Prime Minister of uh, of China, Wen Jiabao, uh, at that time. He had been uh, trying to get uh, to visit Iceland for a long time. He's a He's a geologist, and he had a dream. It was to visit Iceland before retiring. After a Chinese prime minister or, or a president retires, they become like prisoners of state. They're not allowed tra to travel. Not, they cannot become board members or board leaders of any, any, any companies. They, they, they know a lot of state, state secrets. They cannot go abroad. So he wanted, while he could still visit, he wanted to visit Iceland to see the geology of Iceland. And he had been asking, we, there was a standing invitation, and, and he had said, how about, the, how about the next month? How about in half a year? How about this or that time? He'd been trying for three years. And, uh, and our prime minister at that time, uh, Johanna Sigurðardóttir, a, a, a staunch, uh, an honest left-wing social democrat, she, uh, she was uh, very busy with the economy of Iceland, which is quite true. I mean, she was quite busy and occupied with, with other issues. And she, she simply couldn't find the time in her schedule for the Chinese prime minister. Uh, once it was uh, because she was uh, at a meeting in, uh, in Finland, one of the Nordic countries, and, uh, and then uh, followed by a personal uh, vacation, her first vacation after, after coming into power. So uh, she had been planning this vacation for a long time. Um, <laughs> this is not how we told the Chinese, I can't tell you. <laughs> she was busy. Uh, anyway, in the end, uh, he came for a visit to Iceland. And, and on the way to Iceland, because we, you know, I, I had I've been in the, uh, the um, uh, I've been twice based in, in the, at the Embassy of Iceland in, in Beijing. It was after it was established in 1995 to 2000, and then in 2010 to, to today. So um, uh, the um, uh, so I followed uh, the, 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 the proceedings, and and I know that on the way. Uh, the, uh, and I, I, I was in the position, we had an order to try to push the Chinese for new meetings on the FTA, to continue. And they said, well, but you are going to the European Union. We don't want to be conceived as trying to 
uh, be against Iceland entering the European Union, or we don't want to influence the uh, negotiation enter the European Union. We don't. We actually think it's a good idea for Iceland to enter the European Union. I mean, it's your decision, right? So, and we trust. We believe your government is going to enter the European Union. You have decided. You have applied, right? And we, t we, t we were trying to sell it, uh, tell them that it was a lengthy negotiation and maybe it, we would not enter the European Union anyway because we didn't know if we would make a deal or if we uh, would uh, then actually, uh, actually uh, come up with a, uh, the, the, or if the general population would, would vote against it or for it or whatever. But it was, it's complicated because how as diplomats, we had to say we are definitely going to the European Union. And then we had to tell the Chinese still continue to negotiate. Um, and we came up with an argument which uh, the Chinese listened to, and we say, anyway, you can use the exper experience from negotiation with Iceland or the FTA and the results uh, as a preparation for your eventual negotiation of free trade with the European Union. Uh, I didn't think that very convincing when I said this first time, but gradually I came to realize that there's certain truth in this, because the uh, the framework or how we do the trade, if if you can if they can have a free trade agreement with Iceland, in, from the rules or how it's being done, actually the practical matters, then then they, they it should work also for the European Union at least the the framework, basically I'll I'll explain later, um, and. And then when uh, Wen Jiabao went to Iceland for this official visit in, um, in, in 2012, I think it was in, uh, don't remember exactly which month, in, in during the summertime, early summer, I think. Uh, uh, he, he was on a, it was a special governmental plane. So he was with the Minister of Commerce of International <coughs> Trade and uh, and land resources and some other ministers on the plane. And on the plane, I'm told, they decided that they would announce, they would agree to Iceland pressing for continuum or re-start uh, the negotiation of free trade. And that they would try to have a deal before he left office within, which was then within half a year. And um, we accepted that, of course. Uh, there were, um, uh, during that visit, there were uh, agreements signed, or MOUs, on uh, Arctic cooperation and on, uh, and on uh, geothermal development, which have been, uh, which, which are uh, quite useful and are, uh, do have some so significance in the relationship between Iceland because it's and China. It's mainly focused on Arctic cooperation and on geothermal development. Now, um, within um, half a year of that visit, uh, we had already had I think two uh, meetings, and uh, and then in uh, first in Iceland, and then uh, in December. When, when was the, uh, yeah, it was in 2012, in uh, December. It was the, uh, the, the Benjabal wanted this to, the, to, he wanted to witness the signing of the FTA. That was the goal. 
So in December, uh, we had a meeting in, in Beijing, which I participated in, and, uh, and there were only a few outstanding issues. As you can imagine, uh, it included the uh, question of labor rights, human rights issue, which the uh, Ministry of Commerce said we cannot uh, discuss this. If we, if we have to discuss this, we will have to involve all the ministries, and then we can negotiate forever. But we can find a solution, which we did. We, it was uh, done by a declaration about cooperation on all these issues of uh, discussions, declaration between the ministers, uh, which the, the um, because our, for our, our minister of, prime minister was going to come to China to sign. So, uh, the, uh, and then there were uh, issues on the procedure and, uh, and the declaration of origin or a certification of origin and uh, the free movement of uh, nationals between the economies and so on. So these were the issues that were difficult in the end. The issues that had been most difficult in the first phase had evaporated. They were a question of uh, the, uh, uh, the rights of Icelandic financial institutions to enter the Chinese market. Any pressure from the Icelandic banks had disappeared with the collapse. So uh, they were not pressing for, for that anymore. And, um, and we didn't even bring up the issue. But in the, in the final round, there were sticky issues. The, the Icelandic, uh, uh, there, there was some reluctance within Iceland. Uh, all the political party are officially for the free trade agreement. However, within the uh, official establishment, there, were, there was some skepticism on, on, uh, on uh, from official, for, for instance, from the fin uh, Ministry of Finance, whether or not it would be uh, useful to, uh, to, to uh, uh, I mean, they would lose the, the, the income from, uh, from uh, the, uh, with the free trade agreement, even though there were not high tariffs on Chinese imports, then, uh, then they didn't want to lose it. So they were, they said, okay, we support it, but we, we, uh, we have to be careful, something like that. Um, and they had, um, and the custom authorities had uh, instructions that they should, that we needed to uh, have the same procedures on declaration of origin as within the European Economic Area, which is a declaration, simple declaration. This is Icelandic stuff. It is uh, uh, produced in, in Iceland. So it's declaration by the company. It's not a, it's not a, a certificate certificate from the custom authorities, which the Chinese were uh, insisting on. And this was one of the most uh, of the stickiest points. The, the old bottom line was that they, we could agree to, uh, as a compromise, to both. But they would have to go along with a declaration of origin. And the Chinese said, no way, we just want a, a, um, a certificate of origin. And that's where uh, the question of, um, of a know-how and, 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 and the Chinese culture came in, because I, I was involved in those, those negotiations. And I, had, and I tried to understand why the Chinese were insisting on this. 
And I somehow, I, I know about sort of the problems the Chinese are having in their harbors with their own custom authorities. That there's been, uh, there's a lot of um, personal relationship at the border. And um, if, uh, and when you are importing something, you, you uh, the person that makes the custom declaration is the importer. So if he knows the custom authorities, the official in charge, uh, he may be somewhat not quite accurate in his declaration. And it may be important because the tariff may be lower on the species that he somehow mistakenly puts on the declaration and, 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 and it goes through because it, the, the he knows the container is not going to be opened. Also, it's a question of origin. I mean, is it really Icelandic? Or maybe it's actually from uh, somewhere in Southeast Asia and it transshipped somewhere and then people are claiming it's from Iceland. So the Chinese side, they, they so I, I started thinking about this. And it so happened that the head of the, 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 of the negotiation team from the custom authorities was my age, born in 1955. So we were studying at the universities at the same time, not the same university. However, we remember those times and we started talking shop, you know, about these good old times when everybody had the same nice blue or green or, or gray clothes, you know, and, and uh, women, if they didn't button, the upper button, I mean, they were sexy. Those <laughs> days, right? <coughs> so. And all the young people in his negotiation team and in my and, and the other side, they, they had no clue what we were talking about. I mean, they, we were alien. He was as alien to them as I was, in that sense, when he started talking about this. But this made it a, a approach. I mean, we, we had a, some kind of personal understanding. So I, then I asked him, you know, I, I'd been thinking, breaking my, my brains about it. Why, why did they want this um, certificate of origin? And then I... And then he, and then he said, maybe this is something about the um, irregularities so you you have to try to control at the uh, with the, with your own custom authorities in the, in the harbor. That was in tea break. You cannot say this in a meeting. So the, yeah, it's uh, okay. And I and I thought about it, and and then I used my argument. I said, okay, you need you want a certificate. And I took the, I was not the lead of, of the uh, negotiation on this, but I asked if I could say something. And, and I decided, decided to, to, to bluff. I said, okay, uh, in our, if you need this custom certificate, then we can, as, as a sovereign state, we can delegate a person within the companies exporting to issue the certificate with a staff. We can do that. And that person will be responsible to other to our, our own custom authorities for, for this. This is our own internal procedure. So what is the difference between us just deciding to do this and having a declaration? And then in a then about half an hour later after a coffee break he, he said, Okay, we agree that a declaration is okay. And I was looking at our own negotiation team, and they, 
the, our custom, the officials from our custom authority, they did not expect the Chinese to back down. They thought they were not going to back down. Ever. So the, 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 the orders back home was okay not to have an, a, a deal. And they had agreed. So, okay, we have an agreement. And then I started taking part in some other negotiation. Then later that day in the evening, we, we had a problem. We were told, <laughs> told that the, the Chinese custom authorities, they wanted that the wording of the declaration of origin would include the tariff numbers of the content in the container. And furthermore, each exporter giving a declaration, they would have a list of the companies that have the rights to issue a declaration of origin. It's basically, it could be simple. They just wanted to have the names of the company from the custom authority saying these companies, if there was a new company, they want to have a record saying this company has the right to make a declaration. It is exporting to China. And they had a, have, would have to have a number of the container. Now this, the custom authorities in Iceland thought was very difficult. And we had an internal meeting. I said, you, you, you serious? I mean, you, the Icelandic exporters, mainly seafood exporters, they know what's in their container. It takes them about 10 to 15 minutes to put those tariffs number, and you don't have, but that's very special knowledge. But, but the Chinese were not asking for the whole number. It was asking for the main, the, the decisive, decisive part of it, which decides the tariff. Okay, so you, you're going to say you're not going to have a deal because you don't want to create work for the exporter. I mean, you, you, you can't sell that to the exporter. So, so they said, yeah, well, yeah. Okay. So, so that, that was agreed. And the reason I told our team for them wanting to have a number with basically it's just 2000, you know, 2014 001, 002, 003. It's, it's not complicated. It's just that, and then a name of the company or, or, or from that company. The reason is that at the end of the year, they were going to get a list from the Iceland Custom Authorities about everything exported, and they could, through the computers, see immediately if there had been extra containers coming, or double, you know, double numbers or extra containers coming from the company, so that they would be able to trace the importer of that extra container. Is that... Uh, their way of ensuring that there are no irregularities in the importance. So who, who are we to tell them all the time to combat corruption and have to be fair trade and then try to prevent them in creating a system which actually doesn't take any time for us. So this was agreed. But you have to understand the purpose. And this is a definite needed to understand this. You needed a knowledge of the Chinese system. There was no, I mean, they, they were not just just because. There was nothing, not like that. And then, and then we have, and in reality now, I think most of the exports are uh, custom uh, certificates issued by, by the customs because the Icelandic custom authorities, they, they can also issue the customs. So this is, this is a very typical example of how this is. Another example, I'll just go through it. I mean, you... you uh, before I forget, though, I'll, I'll tell you one thing. One reason why they, why did the Chinese decide to start restart the negotiations with Iceland, free trade? Um, the 
there were uh, after the negotiation with Iceland stagnated they uh, because of Iceland decision go to into the European Union they initiated a free trade uh, 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 agreement negotiation with Norway and it was expected that this was would go very fast and that Norway would precede Iceland in this agreement and then Norway decided to have a opinion or, or, or from uh, retired politicians in Norway decided to have opinion on the social system China should have and support a uh, advocate of the western style democracy in China as a, as, as, as a, as a, uh, a Nobel Peace Prize winner so that's what they did and the Chinese they didn't really like it uh, in particular because Norway, the foreign minister of Norway had just been to China and he'd met with Xi Jinping, the, uh, the vice um, chairman of the party at that time, 2012 I think it was, and uh, 2011, 2011, 2011, yes, autumn. Um, and, and he had been best buddies with uh, Xi Jinping and said, we, we have common interest, we are going to have strategic uh, cooperation. Um, China and Norway are going to do it together, open up uh, the Northern Sea Route, resource development in the Arctic, uh, institutional investment, all the way. Yeah. Good friends. And at the time, he didn't ever mention that there was this possibility of uncontrollable uh, retired politicians deciding to to give um, to give some. Um, a peace prize to an Iceland uh, to a Chinese dissident. Now, and when it happened, eventually, and, and it may be true that that those Norwegian um, that the that the uh, politicians in power cannot control those that have been thrown out of power uh, within their own country. It may be true that they actually didn't know uh, the Chinese didn't really buy that, but the, they, they may be true. But they. The, what he did was that he d he did not immediately talk directly with Xi Jinping or sent, sent a special envoy in explaining the issue. He chose a week or two after the after the peace prize was um, awarded uh, to talk with the Chinese through the media. And you don't do that to a person you just call best buddy. So might have avoided the whole issue if if they had I mean the content of that text could have been exactly the same it's the manner of delivery so the Norway was kicked out of the the free trade it uh, was kicked in, into the freezer and and, um, and the free trade agreement with Norway of course was out of the question for for, for a few years so this is one factor for why they restarted the negotiation with Iceland the uh, um, uh, another factor in general, I mean, why Iceland? The, I think you should look up on the internet uh, free trade agreements China has done with other countries. It includes neither New Zealand, Peru. Uh, they're doing uh, and later Australia, but that was after our free trade agreement had been done. And uh, on, and then uh, they had negotiation with Korea and Japan. Lots of other countries. Not, it's, it's not the big countries in the world, like Brazil and uh, Russia, those big economies. It's smaller ones. So it's, it's political. It, 
the Chi Icelandic uh, trade with China doesn't matter for China at all. It's it's uh, it's, it's minimal, and they are not when uh, when they are um, when we are negotiating. I mean, what are the Chinese up to and all that? It's, it's not like that. It, it's not about trade. It's about uh, the methodology and about a statement that China uh, deals with countries on an equal basis, even they are small, etc. So. Uh, so the, uh, um, the same Norway is a small country in, in, in this context as well. But it, it had so happened that at that time when they restarted the negotiation with Iceland, they had been a they'd been stalemate in their negotiation with Australia for a very long time. They had also problem with the methodology and, and how to negotiate with Japan and Korea. Th those negotiations are important. They're big countries who are in, in China trade. And it and the methodology by which we did our free trade agreement was actually useful for finalizing the other free trade agreements. It is my belief, even though I do not know the details, that there were some difficulties in finalizing the free trade agreement with Switzerland, because Swiss, uh, Switzerland being is a very sticker for formalities and and and, and uh, legal issues, and it's a it's a com complicated political and and and, and uh, legal system they have in their country. So um, I think, you know, if Iceland could find a solution on the issue of of, of uh, declaration of uh, uh, on origin, then it would have to be workable for Switzerland as, as well. See, because we are in the within the European economic area. So it does have relevance for future negotiation with the European Union, in that sense. And furthermore, our way of doing things in, in uh, you know, there's, there's something called, which you already have heard about it probably, the Beijing Consensus, is to agree to disagree and work together anyway. It's not a consensus. You know, we, if we go to a meeting in, 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 uh, in Scandinavia, to a, a meeting of the, of the Labour Party or the or some of the political parties or uh, youth uh, league or whatever, and everybody sits there and, okay, everybody agree, okay? And then it's, you know, sometimes we, it's a simple vote, or, but then the, then the agreement is an agreement. Everybody has to follow this agreement. And, and, if, we, if, we are, and if we are trying to get a consensus, everybody has to be of the same idea, has to agree. In, in Chinese culture, uh, it's more like uh, you, you decide to work together to a certain goal from uh, the, and, and then you can disagree about why you are doing it or, uh, or, or you, you basically agree. You and me, we are different. We, get, we have different interests. We don't even agree whether or not a certain territory is ours or yours. We can work together anyway. It's called in, in Chinese language, it's um, uh, the traditional is the most important. It's, it's usually translated harmony. And Japan is using it as a, as a, as a, as a basic in their own culture. But, the, but it doesn't really mean harmony. It's, um, harmonious inclusiveness. And that is the, is the basic concept which we, it's different from ours. Uh, it's, it's, this is why 
one of the reasons why a Chinese Buddhist he doesn't really care about uh, care about the dogma of his uh, of of the sect he belongs to, he can go to any Buddhist temple. Try to tell that to a Christian. You know, the, the dogma is all. I mean, it's true or not. But they, they believe that you know it, it, it's not true anyway. I mean, it's, the, it's just an imperfect uh, reflection of uh, reality. The, uh, the dogma. I mean, the, what is being the, the the principles that can be expressed through words are not unchanged in principles or unchanged in truth. That is the beginning of the Lao Tse, the first first sentence. Now the in our way, in our, in our FTA, what we don't agree on, we just put in brackets. I said, let's talk about this later. Agree on what we can agree on, and continue. So, so it basically on seafood and, and some other issues, and you, you can, I don't, I'm not going into the details, I don't even remember them or not anymore. But the, this methodology, after we finished our FTA, the Australians were very fast finishing them. I mean, if Iceland, will Iceland can negotiate with China? We can, can't we? And the same same went for um, for Switzerland. I mean, they got an agreement just a few months after us because the problem with the sticky points were the same. So it was this on a, a declaration of origin. It was on human rights or the labor rights. And they can't put it in a free trade agreement because it's different ministry. Okay, we can buy that. It's sounds Icelandic, sounds uh, Scandinavian for that matter. Every ministry has its own territorial issues. So, so how do we do it? We did it, we, we know that, it is, that the, our, our, by then it was clear that when our prime minister would come to China, visit China for witnessing the, uh, the signing of the free trade agreement, uh, there would be a new prime minister, Li Keqiang, the present prime minister, and he would he would be, uh, uh, the, uh, and, and, um, and they would meet, and, they, and the Chinese suggested, why don't we have a declaration? I mean, they, we asked, can we have an agreement? Can they have an agreement that we should, uh, the Prime Minister, uh, have an agreement uh, on, on Iceland and China uh, having uh, a platform for discussing uh, labor uh, right issues uh, and at those uh, negotiations, at those uh, discussions, representatives of, uh, of uh, non-governmental uh, organizations such as the labor unions might be present. The Chinese said, ah, we cannot have an agreement, but we can have a declaration. And the declaration has the force of an agreement in our case. If, if our prime minister declares something or, 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 or minutes, we can call it, not a declaration, a minutes from the meeting, they discuss this and that, they agreed that they were going to, they welcomed the participation of, etc. That was the formulation. So we made a draft. They had not met, right? You understand that? So we made a, a draft for, the, uh, for, for, for their declaration of the meeting, which hadn't taken place, for the, for the uh, minutes. And the Chinese took it back and, and uh, said, OK, let's go over it. And it was, uh, I mean, people back home in Iceland, they were very nervous, our ministry of are uh, they going to change it? They, they say that they were going to make some changes. We don't want to. We have. It has to be exactly this wording. And then the Chinese, Chinese made changes the wording, which were closer to our purpose than what we had dared to propose ourselves. 
because they were they, they understood our law. There was something they, they we had agreed to their methodology, so they were willing to be very accommodating in in in, in making this acceptable to us. So that is what this is suspicion of the Chinese. Why are they doing this? I mean, why can't we just believe that they actually understand why why we need this? We needed this for the labor unions, and. Uh, and then they, in the end, they, they said, okay, but they're not met, so we cannot actually say that this is the final test. I mean, there may be slight changes, right? I said, no, 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 it has to be the final test. We mean, maybe there's some change in the wordings. Like spelling? <laughs> it's just, and in the end, the, the, the head of our negotiation team, a very experienced diplomat, she managed to, uh, partly on the basis of my telling her that if a Chinese official or a Chinese government, if it declares something, it will not back down. It will stand by the word. The, the, if, if it backs down, we will have to give them excuse. We will have to be their excuse for it. They, they're not going to say, OK, we said this, but it's not true anymore. That's not how it is. In international relations, you stand by your word. Trust, trust. That's another concept which is a basic that it's really the, one of the basic concepts of the, of the uh, Chinese culture. How can a person be a person, uh, be a man? How can a man be a man if he doesn't have trust? That's Confucius. It's the difference between animals and, 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 uh, and, and, and uh, people in the Confucian idea. So, uh, so uh, she, she uh, convinced our uh, uh, people back home, the, the minister of our, our permanent uh, secretary, that uh, the, we could trust the Chinese on this one. And I think they, uh, there was one punctuation that was changed at the end. I mean, this is. Uh, so this was number two. So if we could do it, something like that, then, uh, then Norway will be able to do it. And then there was a question of. Um, of, of the uh, movement of people. The Chinese absolutely wanted uh, the, the specific Chinese jobs to be mentioned, like Chinese cooks, instructors of Chinese, like for the Confucian Institute, um, the um, uh, Chinese medical stuff, like uh, acupuncture and Chinese medicine. And I think it was uh, Chinese sports like uh, Tai Chi. They wanted this mentioned in the agreement. So then the suspicious Icelandic mind says, okay, they are going to open up the Icelandic, they want us to open up the Iceland for free flow of Chinese cooks. We, so the labor unions, they were not going to agree to this. That sounds wonderful. Yeah, but yeah. The, yeah, not to the Icelandic labor unions. I mean, of course, we don't have enough cooks and we don't have any Chinese cooks, but the but the idea was this. And also we had a look, because the New Zealand agreement, it was pretty open. I mean, New Zealand is pretty open up for Chinese labor. And we are not, we are not ready to do that. 300,000 people opening up for China, Chinese labor, no way. <laughs> no, we are open up for Pollock, that's different. They're white. And we, the, you know that as part, a result of the Schengen agreement, all the Schengen countries are wide open for people from all the other countries. Uh, the, uh, but, they, but we are closed down. We, we, we really have closed to, to people outside the Schengen area. Now, uh, uh, 
there was there was a lot of suspicion. I mean, why are they? Why do they want this? And there was a frustration on the Chinese side. And, and finally, the the lady was the head of that negotiation team said, you know, you know, why we need this? Is the relevant ministries, Ministry of Sport, the Ministry of Health, the Ministry of uh, what whoever is the education? I think the cooks they they, they really want to have mention of those names, the, the Chinese-specific jobs in, in, in the agreement. It doesn't really matter how it's written, it just has to be there. Right. It was branding. It was branding. It didn't matter. So the wording was, in the end, and it was quite acceptable. You, you say that, uh, that the, uh, the, 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 the both sides agreed that the it was, I think, it's in an annex that both parties agree that uh, that the, uh, the, the these jobs, you know, Chinese cooks and so on, etc., can get uh, uh, labor can apply for labor permits to be processed in accordance with Icelandic laws, relevant laws and regulations, in consultation with relevant organisations on both sides, which is exactly how it is done. And the addition, which actually is good, is that the relevant organization on both sides means that if a, if a person is applying, because the, the cook doesn't, the individual who applies, is coming, he doesn't apply. It's a company in Iceland that applies for a labor permit. Same in the, in the old Scandinavian countries. Uh, he said, I need a Chinese cook. Or a university said, I need a Chinese language teacher. So it is a university or the company that applies. And then there is a name of a person and his background. And in the FT, in the annex is mentioned that the relevant organization in China will guarantee the quality that the person actually has diploma to do this. And until then we had some problems with people getting so-called massage, people doing massage or acupuncture that were not really licensed and hadn't studied to do it in China because we did not have any formulation on ensuring that this is on. Now with the FTA actually is stricter, better quality control. But you have to understand why, because it, the people, <laughs> the, the our negotiation team really thought that this was an attempt for the Chinese to overflow Iceland with Chinese goods. Come on, they, what would they gain by that? Absolutely the, the, the opposite. The whole world would be terrified. <laughs> and you'd have a backlash and everything. It, it doesn't happen like that. There was, um, there was one more uh, thing, I think. It's... Um, um, so the, these, uh, this we got through, and um, and then we uh, there were in the free trade agreement there are is a decision of creating platforms or or, or or procedures. So if we want to upgrade to discuss issues in the in the agreement, the um, so we we were able to. Uh, I think there were some other issues, but the, the, this this is basically the the the, the most good ones we had uh, and after having solved this it became relevant in how it's going to be solved with the other countries 
Now, I, I, had a, I met with, um, a couple of weeks, weeks ago, I came here to Shanghai, I met with the representatives of the, uh, of the Norwegian companies, and we had a, pres a presentation from the Norwegian ministry, or Norwegian embassy, on uh, the FTA, and, and people are very optimistic about, about that agreement, great interest, and everyone is being involved, all the companies and all the, you know, all, the, all the stakeholders in Norway have been asked for input to what they want to have in it. So, it, so people are talking about uh, including e-commerce and, uh, uh, and, and um, intellectual property and, uh, and, and uh, various issues that are usually not in the FTA. So haven't, we're not in our original FTA. So they, uh, uh, in our FTA, you just look it up there, it's relatively simply, simple. It's the, the, uh, there are certain chapters that are usually in all those FTAs, but Norway seemingly wants to have a bigger agreement because everyone wants to be on. Now, after having listened to this, I, as a private individual and as a, as a, as a um, uh, you may say, um, kind of an idealist of, of how, how I, I see the world, is that I really believe it's in Iceland's interest if Norway has an FTA with China. Why? With the FTA, the lowering of the tariffs of seafood exports, into, most of our seafood exports into China are without tariffs now. Now, uh, the, um, the, 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 uh, the, the Icelandic companies are relatively weak. We do not have the marketing strength which the Norwegian companies do. Now, salmon in Chinese language is basically Norwegian salmon. It's, a, it's a, almost a synonym for salmon, it's Norwegian salmon. It's an extremely successful marketing campaign that has been done. And the Chinese have promised the Norwegians after the FTA started that, that uh, they would double the, the consumption of Norwegian salmon and, uh, and Norway had better invest in more production. Um, the same will happen with the seafood. But the tariffs are not the key. I mean, the, the, what does an FTA change? It doesn't actually increase the trade as much as people believe. Lowering the Lowering the tariffs by, say, from 15% to 5% or from 20% to zero or whatever, it, it's not quite critical. If, you, if it's imported seafood, it's still probably more, it is more expensive than chicken. You know, it's a, and, and um, sea cucumbers from Iceland, it, they still have tariffs. On. But the, if they're from Iceland, it's still always going to be more expensive than, than the Chinese cucumbers. Because it's it's wild, and the and the and the Chinese it's uh, it's um, fish bread, um, and the uh, it's fish farmed, and and the so so it's a it's a question of marketing. If people who are buying the the seafood from the North Atlantic, they are buying wild and healthy protein or seafood for the children or for their parents. And they're willing to pay a premium. So the tariff is not critical. But it helps, of course, and it helps because the profit margin increases and you have more money to market you for introduction, for sales network. The network, how are you going to do it? Are you going to sell it through 
Now Alibaba wants to be on board. They are, they are studying how to sell fresh seafood through Alibaba. That means you have to be able to get to the consumer three hours after, after uh, three, four hours after it arrives. Or uh, in cold, or I mean, you, you have to have it cold. You see the temperature outside. So how are you going to get it fresh? Comes in with the airplanes in the, in the, in, in, into, into Shanghai, and you get it to, or in Hanzhou, and you get it to the consumers in the Shanghai, greater Shanghai area. Or how are you going to do it? Do, do, do. It's, it's, it's complicated. It's expensive. It needs volumes. So if, if Norway, if Norwegian seafood gets into the Chinese market, we will have a stronger, stronger force behind the shift in con consumption. We have the, the Norwegian will do the marketing which we don't have the strength to do. And, and the shift is of a scale which will affect the availability of seafood, North Atlantic seafood in Europe. It's going to, that's, that's my belief, it's going to within a few years to be on that scale. And uh, that will make a upward pressure on price. There's a certain limit to how much the price will can rise in Europe, because a, con because a consumer going to a shop, basically a housewife, if it, it's a shop, or on the internet buying, in, if it's in China, then there is a if uh, the chicken is always going to be cheaper, but the but the uh, so it has to so it creates a balance that you are how much are you willing to pay more and then it stops there otherwise the 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 sales will will collapse so it but it's gonna be a upward pressure and that's good for everyone that's good for us definitely it's gonna raise the price of uh, North Atlantic seafood the price of of of, of cod. The the, uh, the 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 basic price is one third of a salmon. Shouldn't be like that. It should be opposite. But its reason is because there's a certain the production cost of a farmed seafood, decided by the decided by grain or the cost of the of the fodder, and the infrastructure and investment and interest rates and everything which is, goes into into building up sea sea uh, farming and. Uh, while while in, in the cost of wild seafood, it's uh, the cost of uh, the basic basic line is the cost of uh, oil and the ships and the capital costs and the uh, infrastructure selling and all that. But however, you have a scarcity factor, so it should be higher, and it will go higher. It will go dramatically higher, and that is why I want an early Norwegian agreement. And I found that the uh, uh, that the, the, um, the people at the uh, Norwegian businessmen, a lot of them involved in seafood, they wanted it too. They, it's, it's not so much in the tariffs, it's more like in the focus. And you also need new species. It's the focus of the business community goes, okay, we have free trade agreement with China, so we're going to sell. So they start networking, they start to, to make more marketing. And um, and if they have, and, they, and it can take two to four years, probably, or even longer, the free trade agreement. If you're trying to get everything on board into the free trade agreement, it's going to take a long time. 
So my advice is that Norway should try to take those issues that are difficult, put in the brackets, and as a part of the free trade agreement, try to get it fast, and as a part of the free trade agreement, should have a clause on immediately starting the upgrade of the free trade agreement on the issues that are still outstanding. That would be a good methodology, I think. I told this at the, at the meeting, and I told the Norwegian, uh, the representative of the Norwegian embassy, you could report at home, but uh, I don't know what's going to do that. But the, uh, no, I mean, I, I know that he's going to report it, but I don't know if it's going to be done like that, because everyone wants to have a finger in what is happening. It's so important. Let's have a break. Uh, let's continue the... Uh, as you could hear from my introduction on... Uh, on some side issues to the trade agreement. Basically, I was not introducing the trade agreement too much. It was, uh, it was more like uh, side issues that are related to, to this. But relevant to your main theme, which do, is doing business in China, and I can see from your program, you already have had a, uh, a, a lecture on, uh, on the cultural aspects of uh, doing business in China. And um, uh, so what I, the second part will be somewhat related to that, but maybe a bit more to, uh, to the deeper uh, or, the, or the underlying conceptual system. I'd say. When I came to China in 1975, <coughs> I was a uh, I was a product of uh, of a uh, wave of of uh, Chinese influence, political influence in the in the world um, uh, at the around the so-called 68 generation. I myself was born a little bit too late for being on that 68 generation, but, the, but uh, by the time I was, I entered into uh, high school, uh, the uh, radical movement of the 68 student uprisings had uh, uh, been solidified about uh, political dogmas and uh, organized groups and students coming back from the universities in Europe, brought this into Iceland and uh, into the Icelandic uh, secondary grammar schools. We we have the <coughs> we had we're not changing it, but we used to have four years in secondary grammar school. So so we had um, maybe a bit more redundant time than than the small University of Iceland. The, a lot of the Icelandic students they go to university abroad, so at least in in the postgraduate studies. <laughs> So I was an activist in the Icelandic radical movement uh, in one of three factions of the Maoist movement. Of course, we didn't call us, ourselves Maoists. We called ourselves Marxist-Leninists, or uh, Marxist-Leninists, uh, and, and these were um, nuances that were only important to ourselves. But they, uh, <coughs> So uh, there were uh, there were three in Iceland only the three factions, uh, two in the beginning two and, and origin wise one of them originated from Norway another from Sweden, a break break off from the Swedish Marxist Leninist 
which was called Kofa Millar, uh, communist forbundet, Marxist and Leninist and uh, revolutionary. And um, uh, then we had um, one Trotskyite faction that um, actually was um, used to be the youth league of the Icelandic. Uh, well, it used to be like the, a little bit like the SF, uh, the Socialist Forbundet or Venstreparti in, in, in Sweden, I think. But, the, but they, they, they were taken over by the Trotskites, and they actually entered in the Fourth International for a while. They, and the head, the, the uh, ideological head of that organization is the present, um, present uh, manager, general manager of the Icelandic Central Bank. <laughs> who, who read as a young man uh, Das Kapital, all of it, and then uh, became one of the heads of the European Bank, and then, uh, then later were called back into Iceland to, uh, to re-surrect uh, the Icelandic financial system. Very successful, I must say. He's been, you know, he's behind the the Icelands. Um, uh, the, uh, the, the, the present um, uh, health of the Icelandic uh, financial system is a bit precarious because it's a small economy with their own currency, but he manages to, to keep it afloat. Now and then, <coughs> I, I, and I, at, in high school, I, was, I had a short list of things I was not going to study, and I, uh, philosophy was on that short list. What I was probably going to study, I thought, was might be it was going to be engineering or uh, natural science or something, something in natural science, or possibly uh, linguistics. And uh, I didn't expect to end up as becoming a board member of the International Associ Association of Confucian Scholars uh, after um, having studied in China. I came, uh, there were the, the Icelandic radicals, they were, uh, the movement was, there were a few hundred people that were active. And um, if I had stayed on, I would probably have made a fool of myself with having gone into national politics or something. And I'm very, very happy that I didn't do that. Went to China to study um, philosophy instead. And my excuse to my comrades and others was that I wanted to go to China to study about real socialism because I was not going to study, um, you know, when Soviet Union was, was a social imperialist country according to the Chinese dogma. Uh, however, there were a few hundred students in, in the movement in Iceland and they didn't apply to go to China. They didn't go to China. I went, so it doesn't really explain it. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a kind of a uh, kind of an interest for the maybe, maybe the exotic and element and, and to, to want to learn about, about something which is different and curiosity. Same reasons that are driving you here into studying here. Uh, I, have, I did write something about China. The, when I came back to Iceland, I, I, I was, I had to find a job and uh, because I was the first Icelander to learn Chinese, I, I was teaching some Chinese, and, and even though I hadn't studied Chinese history, <coughs> I, I, I taught Chinese history at the, you know, at the secondary grammar school and then at the University of Iceland. Studied, I taught 
Chinese and Japanese. I also went to Japan study, so I taught Chinese and Japanese at the uh, linguistic uh, department of the University of Iceland also for a couple of years. And um, because there were no teaching materials, so I had to make all those teaching materials myself. But I wrote a history, a short history of Chinese, of China, modern history from the Opium War to Deng Xiaoping era, called from uh, the the imperial, from imperial China to communist China. And I wouldn't say that I was, that in that book, when I look at it again, I can't say it was completely wrong as such, but see, was it simplistic? I didn't understand much when I was writing, but still I had been in China, you know, for, it was four years as a student, then I had been in Iceland for uh, Japan for two years and two more years in Iceland, so eight years since I came to China first, and I and I had read a lot of uh, books on history, and uh, of course I used them on, as a basis, mm, but I I really didn't understand the logic. I just knew what happened, or I thought I knew what happened, but then if you don't understand the reasons why it happened, you really didn't understand what happened. So that, that becomes a problem. Later, I, I early on when I started uh, studying, uh, I studied philosophy in, 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 in 1976 to 79 at Beijing University as an undergraduate. There were no graduates in the Chinese uh, system at that time. And um, I may have been um, either the first or the second uh, student to graduate from a Chinese university after a, uh, after the Cultural Revolution, so uh, and I was the, well, I uh, from the, from Western Europe. There were some from East Europe, from Albania and Romania, East uh, Germany, Vietnam, Laos, but uh, North Korea, of course, and Japanese. There were some Canadian Marxist-Leninists. Apart from that, there were no uh, the the only Western. West European students, they were uh, graduates and they were having special uh, teaching because they had been studied, they had studied China, Chinese language back home, so they were sent by the universities for one or two years in China. So I was an undergraduate with 120 Chinese students in my class, nominally changed, uh, divided into three classes, but we got our lectures in one big room <coughs> because there were not many teachers the end of the Cultural Revolution. He hadn't returned from the countryside yet. And um, there were only three foreigners, me, and then a girl from Japan, another one from Madagascar. So I was the only white person in the, in the room. The next year was in, this was uh, the, year, the, the, the last uh, worker, peasant, soldier, um, Students, year. that means that uh, didn't take entrance examination. In 1977, the people started taking entrance examination. But they, in that in that year, this was the situation. Next year, there were some students in Ethiopia. Uh, in 19 in the uh, in the in the, in the class of 74, 75. And 1977, uh, the first uh, year after the. Um, after the entrance examination, was I remember there was one student from Ethiopia. He is now the president of Ethiopia. 
So uh, Chinese influence uh, is there. Among my students, one, one of them is the head of the organizational committee of the of the, of, the, of the Central Committee of the Communist Party of China, meaning one of the 25 in the Politburo, probably number 10 uh, in, the, in the hierarchy, 7 to 10, may, may be a candidate into the Standing Committee. He has visited Iceland, my home in Iceland. So uh, China is being ruled today by the generation that went to school when I was a student. Now I started uh, the, the uh, I, I pretty uh, I realized pretty early on that the, there was a mismatch between the the the, the uh, Marxism in Europe, Marxism taught by the, the groups in Europe, and the Chinese version of Marxism. And I <coughs> one of the one of the fundamental differences is that. Uh, most of you, you probably learned some philosophy, like, like the Hegelian idea, Marxist Hegelian idea of uh, quantitative change uh, induces a qualitative change. You know, water it heats up to 100 degrees and then it boils. Then it's a qualitative change. That the quantitative change gives rise to contradictions that are solved through synthesis. It's a, we have, you have a thesis, you have antithesis and synthesis. This is the, the, the Marxist version of Hegelian philosophy. So there is a situation where you don't have contradictions, where you have qualitative change. But the Maoist version is there are no situations where you do not have contradictions. There are always contradictions. It's an absolute. So basically, that is yin and yang, is the idea about yin and yang, and, and the book of chains expressed with Marxist jargon. That is my conclusion. And the uh, and I was, you know, trying and, and I realized that I didn't. We had some uh, uh, we had classes in, in traditional Chinese philosophy, but the but I had oh gee, I had difficulties understanding. It was in of course in traditional Chinese and uh, and. Uh, uh, Gradually, I, I well in the beginning I didn't understand very much. So the, then I bought uh, Feng Yulan's book on uh, short history of Chinese philosophy, and uh, the shorter version is two volumes, while the short version is uh, one volume. Usually, if you talk about the concise or short something, it's very very big because the people who write it they understand how complicated it is. So I went to Hong Kong and bought this book and I read that. That was my first. Studies and then later I went to Japan to study Chinese philosophy and then I to really understand it. As I translated the Analects of Confucius into Icelandic with extensive notes and uh, introduction on concepts because I realized the concepts are untranslatable into our languages, uh, very difficult to translate. And then I later I translated Lao Tse again. There were already four or five translations in Icelandic, but all of them from other languages. And um, translating Lao Tse, it's, it's an obscure text. It's obscure on purpose. It is supposed to have many meanings. So, but it, when the translators are translating, they select a meaning, and that is changing the meaning already. So, uh, so the, the, the difficulty lies in trying to find obscure translation or translate the obscure language. 
and then give explanations. So, and that's what I did in my translation. Is I, I have the original, also the Chinese language, and I have, um, have have the other possibilities of translation and understanding of the text into Icelandic. And after translating it, uh, so that was about five years. Uh, no, it's about no eight years ago. Then I <coughs> revisiting the text. I realized that some there are issues I misunderstood at that time. So my understanding of China has been an endless story of misunderstanding. Well, some years ago, I started uh, writing a, uh, a, a book or a thesis on, on the uh, conceptual mismatch between the Chinese and Western conceptual systems. Uh, and I went to find, uh, found some people from Penguin and showed it to them. And they. Uh, at least the, the editor I showed it to, she was quite impressed and thought it was interesting. However, not the type of book they, they would publish in, uh, in uh, Penguin. But after uh, chatting with her about uh, my experiences in uh, 1976, she asked me to uh, publish another book, which I uh, did. This is the book uh, about what happened in 1976. So uh, you can... Uh, Downloaded on the on the it, it's not sellable in Chinese bookstores. It's, I'm writing about a delicate time in Chinese history, thing, uh, like like Mao Zedong and and Huang and, and, and those things. Maybe after the 18th Party Congress, something will change in that. I don't. Know. But uh, you can still buy it on on the internet um, for uh, two dollars or something. So it's a, it's a very short version of how I now in retrospect see what I lived through what I saw a lot of time. Seen, seen uh, with the advantage of age and, uh, and experience. I'm very happy that I didn't write very much in English in, in those years. Because my misunderstandings of China were, were quite fundamental. The, uh, uh, I, I know that what you have already heard is that um, about China, for sure, is that to be able to do business in China with Chinese, you have to realize that there is a cultural difference. There's a, uh, I would like to say, conceptual mismatch. You, you are one way of saying it. You, you heard about uh, brainwashing. It's some. The, I think the term comes from the Vietnam War or something. The, the, at least there were a lot of talking about the prisoners that were taken in Vietnam, and they started identifying with the. Uh, the, with the capitals, and uh, they were brainwashed. And but to brainwash, you have to wipe out what was originally there, and then you had to rewire the brain. Now, all of us are originally wired with software we get from our surroundings, our cultures. We are not necessarily brainwashed, but we are programmed. And if we find problems with understanding people from North Korea, we should realize that they have just as big problem understanding us. The, and as, and, but most people are convinced with that their understanding of reality or, or what there is, is the right understanding. Because everything around them tells them so. You don't need to be a Trump to believe that you're right. Most people, <laughs> most people really believe that their 
analysis and their understanding of other cultures is right. Most Europeans, for instance, they believe that the, they sometimes called, we think metaphysically. The word metaphysics comes from the book which Aristotle's wrote after physics, and it's about philosophy, so it's called metaphysics. Chinese is similar, it means that you think in boxes, basically. That the world was created ABC. That A is A, B is B. And that if there is evolution, it's linear and it's an end and, and, and perfection. In political terms, uh, this meant that in during the Roman Empire, the Romans knew that their political system was the end of political development, ended in the emperor, or the rule of the emperor. One god, one emperor. And, um, and it was um, their task of the emperor and the Roman Empire to bring civilization to the barbarians um, all around the world. They, um, then we had a shift and you had God getting the political power from, you know, the giving political power to the kings. So the king got the political power from God. So it could be wrong because it came from God. And, and the Bible was the truth. A Luther, he argued with the Catholic Church about whether the words of God, words of God were in the Bible or whether the Bible was the word of God. That was the argument. Because if you, if you, if the words of God were in, in the Bible, like the Catholic Church said, then there might be some words that were not from God or, or might be our misinterpretation and they understood also the translation anyway. So, so it was a it was a more flexible way than, than the Lutheran one. Uh, the uh, the idea is that our understanding of the world is right and everything else is incorrect. That is the the, 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 the premises of Christianity and and, and the Islamic versions is that the is that the, uh, the, the the dogma of there is one God and created the world is right and everything else is wrong. And then there are sects, and each sect and each understanding and each reading and we all the ideas about metaphors in the Bible and all that, you have different schools of thought, and they say this is the truth. Everything else is wrong because there's only one truth. So this is the, the idea of the Western world. The, for 300 years or 350 years in the Middle Ages, we burned people, burned witches, because they, they were working with the devil. And everybody during those centuries knew this to be the truth. Now we have, of course, forgotten about that, and we have somebody else doing that in ISIS and Islam and so on. But we, we are right. When we had problems, when the Americans left uh, the, the Middle East, they were going to solve the Middle East problems once and for all, give them democracy. Why? Because democracy is the, 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 the it's not perfect system, right? But, the, but it's the best of all systems, and it is the end 
the, the end point of political development. Po after we, we have always the, the even people who are who are uh, um, who, who are skeptical about the democratic system, perhaps modern or let's say a liberalist or socialist or communist or anarchist or whatever version, they know the truth that political so po political systems are going to develop, change until they become perfect. Um, Hegel talked about utopia. The Marxists uh, criticized him for utopia, utopia and, and came with their own version of utopia. This, of course, is just the same idea that there is a perfect balance and no contradictions and no change, except good change. Always things getting better and better. So this is this is how we look at it. The the in, in the political mainstream idea in the West is that the that that um, democracy is 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 the end point of political development. It's mainstream, and those who see the see that it's not quite so. Didn't work for the Middle East, and and, and, and we're having problems with Trump. Or, or Brexit or whatever. I mean, the the uh, we think it's because we have to fix this system a little bit. There's not enough transparency, you know, or or gender equality, or, you know. But we all have the solution, or we turn, or, or and then you have some people who go back to the nature or whatever. But always have the truth. The Chinese have never thought like that. Everything there's a it's 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 a quotation in Buddhist dogma that everything which is born will come to an end. Your sunbios, everything changes absolute. Everything changes cyclically. Every regime, every political system will collapse. The, in, if, we, if we talk about, in a modern uh, terminology, we, we could say that the, um, that, that uh, uh, the, 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 uh, Political systems, they tend to reflect the necessity of governance of, of a given uh, society at a given economic or social level. Okay. And they tend to be slightly out of phase because they are they created later and the society continues to develop. Like the, the democratic systems, we, we, we tend to talk about democracy as being one system, it's not. First past the post in the UK, the, the American system, uh, where it's legal to bribe politicians, and uh, you know it's not legal in, in Europe. Um, and, um, and and we just skip over it. And we call it one system. It's not. It, there are very different systems, types of democracy. And when it started, it was only for men, males, and not for everyone. It was people with possessions and education. And then we took it to India, and then everybody, also those who couldn't read and write, got to vote. So they got a picture of the politicians they were supposed to vote across. But it was democracy, it was, it was better. So that, that is the idea. The Chinese, when a Western politician comes to talk with a Chinese leader, and he starts talking about or preaching about the, the, the democracy, and the Chinese had to start doing more democracy, then he will. Uh, uh, the, the, the Chinese leader, the Chinese politician, he will, he will think, of, why, is he, why does he want me to take up his system? 
what is the purpose? There must be some purpose behind it. He will not believe that we in the West believe that our systems are perfect, or almost perfect. It's also a ridiculous idea that everything is that there is an end point in development. That it doesn't, it doesn't, it cannot conceive that we actually think so. Because the truth, I mean, the the whole history of humankind has been changed. So why should we suddenly stop changing when we are so lucky to be around, like the Romans were lucky to be around, or like the French in the Middle Ages? So. So he doesn't. He thinks he, there's a there's a purpose behind it. While the Western politicians believe or thinks that the that the uh, Chinese politicians, who who is uh, or the, the leader of the Chinese, thinks that Xi Jinping and the Chinese they that they have that they believe that the Communist Party will rule forever. It is not occurred to them that anybody is so stupid to believe that. They don't think it's a thing. Because of course it will come to an end. They just don't want it to happen now. And maybe, and that's why they are really working very hard. Because they, it comes to an end when they lose the trust of the people. How can you lose the trust of the people? It's when you do not deliver anymore. And the whole conceptual system, when we are talking, trying to talk about politics with the Chinese, we, they, there are, let's say, there's a gallop, somebody asking in Chinese, you know, do you, do you support Xi Jinping? Do you support the Communist Party? I, I actually, I don't know how it's translated in the Chinese. They actually uh, uh, translated as support, because the, 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 the idea of the people supporting the party is alien. It is the role of the government to support the people. It's not a football game. The party is a part of the government. <coughs> Every location, they, they, it's a kind of check on power. You have a party secretary and you have a, have a uh, governor or you have a uh, mayor. And they are on, a, on a different tracks. And if it turns out that while the party secretary of, of Shanghai uh, was, was there, the, that the mayor had been had been had been corrupt and had done some major errors, and the party secretary of Shanghai, who by then is already the central committee or, or somewhere you know different city, or the governor of Shandong, he will be he will be asked why didn't you report on this? He is responsible, co-responsible, and they are not they 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 are different tracks. So this is a kind of a attempt at making some responsibility in, in the system. But the Chinese, they don't explain it like that. They, they, they don't, it's just they, they do it. We, they, they don't ask those questions. It's just as how they, this is how they do it. And we have to try to ponder why. Because it, it, comes, it doesn't come natural to us. We think it's a party. What are parties? You know, we do the, 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 um, the, uh, the in some, there have been um, abroad, or there have been some uh, results of a, of a questionnaire saying that say 90% of the Chinese uh, support uh, Xi Jinping. That's not correct. They trust him. That is the key word. They translate it automatically into the word trust. Uh, it, it is not, they do not um, 
supported because the government supported people, giving the people the framework of possibilities of doing the jobs. They, uh, the government is supposed to be it, it's a trust. And this is a Confucian concept. In the Analect, there's a question, Confucius is asked, what are the most important things in a state? And he says there are three things which are most important. It's, um, um, it's the uh, uh, security, being, it's, the, it's the soldiers of security weapons, and it's uh, food, or to provide for people, and it's trust. Now, if you cannot have all three, what can we leave out? And, and uh, we can leave out the, uh, uh, the security of the, the soldiers, if, if we cannot have all. Now, if, if you can only have one, what should you leave out? And the answer, after some pondering, was that um, leave would leave out um, food. Because people have died of hunger, of famine, from ancient times. But if the government doesn't enjoy the trust of the people, it has nothing. Now, I, not only me, but I think everyone has pondered how come the Communist Party and the Mao Zedong did not lose power during the Great Leap Forward when 20 to 30 million people died of famine? How come that the biggest support in our times for Mao Zedong or, or, or let's say, the the, the, the um, state of Maldetum was, was because in the areas, in the regions where most people died, Hernan and uh, Anhui, in countryside, the peasant, they, they revered him like, like a, was a deity. But it's about trust. They trusted, even though, and I have asked people, <laughs> Uh, when I come to Shanghai, sometimes I ask, them, you know, I chat with the, the, the taxi drivers and I uh, ask them about this, and and, and they say, you know, uh, they say, do you uh, do you what do you think about Xi Jinping, and uh, do you support uh, Xi Jinping, and they 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 or, or what do you think about him, and I said, well, I don't, I'm not interested in politics, is a common answer. And then I ask ask about the previous. Previous uh, leader of China. Uh, he didn't think about those people, you know. The previous mayor of Shanghai. I'm a record, right? So maybe not say the name. But he uh, he didn't think about the people. They were only corrupt. They were only thinking about the rich people and all that. I said, yeah, well, but he gave you the possibility to buy the houses and you know distributing the real property and you know now you have three houses. And, Three apartments, and that's because of the economic uh, changes he did. No, no, yeah, I know, but he, he didn't think about us. That was not because he wanted to do for the people, he was doing it for the rich people. And, but how about Mao Zedong? Well, Mao Zedong, he was for the people. He did it for the people. If you ask for the streets, there are almost no exceptions. If there are exceptions, they're usually within uh, the intellectual elite, the, 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 the ones who suffered under, under Mao. But even people who, in the countryside, have lost people to the, uh, to the famine in, in the 60s. And then I asked, for instance, 
remember coming, uh, I wanted to appear in the middle, uh, late in the night, and I, there were only there were some, some small bars with uh, some young ladies, uh, 18 years old, needed, uh, 17 to 19 years old, and wanted to chat with you, whatever. And I, uh, I just said, uh, I just started talking about philosophy, trying to kill the conversation. And it didn't work, because they said, yeah, the book of change, yeah, the book of change has all the answers. What do you think about Mao Zedong? He was thinking about the people. How about, you know, 20, 30,000, 20, 30 million people who died in the Great Reform? Well, that's a lot of people, isn't it? Yeah. Everybody makes mistakes. <laughs> 18 years old, yes? Hi, um, uh, as a, is it okay that I ask questions? Mm -hmm. yeah. As a Confucian scholar, um, and, we, and, you, and your experiences over the last few decades, I mean, Confucianism, like the Bible, are always interpreted and renewed and so on. And yes. From your experiences, uh, what has changed? First, you know, cultural revolution, if you mention Confucianism, you have been struck. Well, in, in cultural revolution, during uh, the cultural revolution, is a completely wild, you're, you're actually opening up a one-hour lecture. But the Confucius, even during the Cultural Revolution, everything which happened during the Cultural Revolution is relevant in Chinese historical context. Mao Zedong, he was trying to break down the, the, the well, he was trying to brainwash the whole Chinese people. The, one of the basic concepts of Confucianism is that gentlemen or people of moral fiber do things which are right. Uh, which are, uh, are uh, morally right. It's uh, it, this uh, in modern Chinese character. This is ugly. This ugly character. Yi. It is translated into English like justice or righteousness or correctness. While it doesn't mean that at all. None of this is correct. It means to do what is right, morally right, which can change in accordance with the circumstances. It's, we don't have this concept at all. It's not righteousness, not, uh, not strict or whatever. So, so, the, so the thing is, only the superior people have this. Now the small people, the common people, they do things for self-interest. Li. <coughs> and that is the Confucianism. Mao Zedong, he tried in the Cultural Revolution to turn everyone into gentlemen. The original concept of Serve the people is a modern trans um, uh, or rephrasing of a Confucian concept. Mingwei Gui, people are the most precious. What is the most precious in the state? Also, it's, a, it's a, Mencius was asked about this, and is the people are the most precious? And and the uh, and, Confu and and this for the state. If the, if, the, if the people, without the people, you couldn't exist, right? You couldn't have a state, so they're most precious. And then you had the nationalist, Sun Yat-sen, he said, Tian Xia Wei Kung, which means the state or the whole under heaven, is for the public. Same concept. However, while most people believe that this is come from Sun Yat-sen, it's from a book called Hansu, written 2,000 years ago. So it's an old Confucian concept. Now, Mao Zedong, Rephrase this when they were in Yemen as Veirim in Fuvu, and of all Mao's slogans and instructions, this is the only one which has survived, right? And is still active. 
it's, it is originally an instruction for the party, for the government, that the government has to serve the people, nothing else to serve. During the Cultural Revolution, the meaning of this concept was shifted into meaning that everyone should serve the people. So, every, so this is an anarchist idea. And Mao used to read, I told you it was going to be a long lecture. <laughs> the Mao, he used to, Mao, he, he didn't read very much Marxism, but he, he read anarchism, Prokoptikin, uh, a, a Russian anarchist. And, and a lot of the social experiments can be traced to that. Just look it up. Uh, I'm not going to tell you about it. But the, but the, the idea then was to every, very, very before. So you remember, you can see from the, the, maybe you're not old enough to remember that, but the, 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 this was what everyone was told to do. So the people, everyone, to act in accordance with moral principles. That is pretty difficult. If you are selfish, you will call the bloody class enemy. And the class struggle became the struggle between, in Confucian terms, between the people who acted morally for the everyone, did not have any self-interest, and for the others. And in reality, that's not how humankind behaves. It became pity, infighting, and using politics as an excuse to get rid of people he didn't like. That was the reality on the ground. So Deng Xiaoping went back to small people act in accordance with self-interest, while the, the, the state, well, well, the, well, the party members are supposed to act in accordance with moral principles. But in reality, even they were corrupted, which always used to happen at the, uh, after the height, after a, uh, after a dynasty has reached its height, but in China, this happened before it reached its height, which made it so dangerous, which is why Xi Jinping is reacting so harshly. But this was a side, I'm not going to talk more about this, okay? There's one more, though. The Jin Zhe He or Bu Tong, the, the, uh, the gentleman, he, he, he's, um, he, he's with him, I mean, he's, uh, he practices uh, harmonious inclusiveness, but doesn't uh, try to make everybody the same. Not, not in agreement with everyone. So. The, uh, so Mao Zedong, he reversed it to the Cultural Revolution, tried to make everyone the same. Now that was the legalists 2,000 years, uh, 2,400 years ago tried to do also. So he was, the, the, the question of putting this in a legalist and Confucian context is quite right. When I, what made, I found it very strange that, that when I was studying the, the so-called Marxist philosophy at Beijing University, the political debates of the day whether change constituted a difference or whether uh, 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 change, to, is, change is, 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 is a contradiction. That was a, that was a political debate between the Soviet Union, between the Soviet Union and Mao, North China. And then whether uh, the, 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 let's say, the, the, the only all the political debates were put in traditional context between legalists and and, uh, and uh, different factions within within Confucianism. And it was it was surrealistic. It was supposed to be about Marxism, but the only debates were about actually obscure points in Chinese philosophy. So, uh, but then uh, because I'm getting close to the end, the, um, the just remember generalizations are use, are useful for reference. They are not really true. Because you, the, uh, they, 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 uh, you know, if you want to say Chinese are like that, you know, 
it means you just arrived in China, you, you've been there maybe half a year, say, all the Chinese, well, the Chinese, they, they don't know how to negotiate. Chinese, they bargain, Chinese, they do this and that. It's not true. I mean, it, but they help to understand the, the bigger picture. You can always find individuals who are exception, uh, exceptions. And, and also generalizations and culture changes. It used to be true, Chinese don't drink coffee, they don't drink tea. Now there are, I think we're just about now passing the point where there are more uh, Starbucks in, in China than in the US. It's just happening, I mean, last this year or next year, I think. And uh, Chinese don't eat cheese. Used to be true, right? But they, they but they never really was true. The, the Xinjiang people did, and, and Mongolians they did, but they, now also the Han Chinese are gone. So the, uh, so this is, uh, you can, you, there is a, there is a, Presentation, you can have a look at it, but the, um, in the end, I'll just mention one one thing. In the end, and then uh, uh, you you have to go and study yourself. You know, study is all about studying yourself. You don't nobody studies for you. You have to study yourself. You have to read yourself. Uh, uh, the the uh, some years ago there was a fashion and talking about Guanxi, books written about Guanxi. So there's something special China has. Guanxi only means relationship. All societies are based on relationships. Um, also Chinese society and also Western society. All business is about relationships. The question is not whether or not you have uh, relationships. The question is what kind of relationship? How are they defined? And the Chinese way of defining relationship is confusion. It's um, it's it's um, uh, they, they see it in, a, in the terms of the family or the five basic guanxi or the Confucian guanxi. The relationships between and it's it's above to below, except the one between friends. So it's it's a friendship. It's between father and son. It's between a ruler and um, and a subject, which can also be. Uh, uh, described as between father and son, husband and wife, which can be seen also as the relationship between a elder and younger sibling. So these five relationships in, in, in automatically when Chinese are acting within their own society and in relationship with others, they translate the relationships with others into those into one of those relationships. So whether or not you are successful in business depends on whether you have friendship with your partner and friends help each other because they help each other. So, uh, and, and or as an elder brother and younger brother, then the elder brother will take care of the younger brother and the younger brother will listen to the elder brother. Um, or if it's a father and son, it's like the, in the Japanese society or when you have a big company and then a provider. You know, the big company will take care of the younger company, the, the smaller company, etc. So this helps. You know, you, you always have to think, they, they, they understand that the Chinese, they, they are brought up, even though the society has changed, and is changing, and will change, and the meaning of those concepts is changing, they are still different from our concepts. Thank you.